Both of the readings this afternoon are in connection with Lord's Day 3, which speaks to the, both the creation but also the fall of, of man. Uh, we'll be focusing especially on, on the fall of man, the fall into sin. And so we'll read from Genesis 3, and then afterwards we'll, we'll also read Ephesians chapter 2. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the, to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him from the garden of Eden Eden, to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden... He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So far from Genesis 3, let's also turn now to Ephesians chapter 2. 
Ephesians 2, we'll read that chapter. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So far, the Word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 14, stanzas 1, 2, and 5. In doctrine, and we find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 3, that's on page 519 of your books of praise. There the question is, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No, on the contrary, God created man good and in His image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God His Creator, heartily love Him, and live with Him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify Him. From where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt 
that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. So far, the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, a couple of weeks ago when uh, we started, a few weeks ago now, when we started the, the process of opening God's Word to uh, working through the Catechism again, opening God's Word to see ourselves for who we are, uh, the Lord's Day that we looked at then finished with the question, can you keep all this, that is all the law of God, can you keep it perfectly? Can you love the Lord God, as we also heard this morning, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? And can you love your neighbor as yourself? And the answer that the catechism gave was a very blunt no. On the contrary, I'm inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. So we looked at that a few weeks ago. Is that true? And we saw that from from Scripture's account of things, it is true. If we look at ourselves honestly and we're comparing ourselves not to other people, but to the perfect standard of the law of God, we, we have fallen a long, long ways from the people we were made to be. That's the point that Lord's Day 3 then wants to explore further. It's important for us to to recognize that uh, as unpleasant as this topic may be, uh, looking at our own sinfulness, uh, seeing how far we have fallen, uh, as unpleasant as that topic may be, this is where the Christian faith begins. The Christian faith begins in knowing who we are as sinners. It's not a pleasant topic, but this is where we must begin. Uh, We will never understand the depth of God's love for us in Christ Jesus, nor the magnitude of His grace until we know ourselves as we really are. We can see our sin for what it is in the light of God's Word. This, the, it, when we know that, then the grace of God uh, begins to shine. Uh, another way to say it is, we'll never run to a Savior that we don't know we need. We're never going to run to a Savior we don't know we need. So this is where we must begin. Uh, so, last time we, we started by comparing ourselves to the law of God, and, and we focused on, on that objective and perfect standard, uh, that when we measure ourselves by that perfect standard, then we can, we can only conclude we are indeed inclined to hate God and our neighbor. Uh, maybe not measured by uh, comparing ourselves to one another, but measuring ourselves compared to the law of God. The step that we want to take this afternoon uh, is to recognize that, that this reality that there is in our hearts a profound selfishness that, that hates God and our neighbor, uh, that this reality is not the way that we were created to be. That's what we want to think about this afternoon. This isn't how we were supposed to be. Uh, this is an important step to take to recognize this, because otherwise it's, it's very easy for us to just grow used to our own sinfulness, selfishness, lust, violence, greed, brokenness in relationship with God and other people. These are, these are what you might call normal experiences in, in the human race. That's the only world we know. The, the abnormal to us feels 
quite normal. This is just what people are. This is why we talk about, uh, even in our society outside of church, we talk about human nature and when we speak of, uh, of these sorts of things. Uh, so we really don't know anything different. And that, that can be true to the point that we no longer recognize our sin for the tragedy that it is. We no longer see it as as, as serious as it is. To be sinful isn't that isn't that just to be human, we think. And so this Lord's Day then takes the next step uh, to, to recognize from Scripture that, in fact, this is not the way that we were created to be. Uh, if we understand then who and, and what we once were, then we will also understand the tragedy of, of the way that we are now. Or to put it another way, uh, we'll, we'll only understand the depth to which we've fallen if we know the height at which we were created. This is also important uh, for us to work through because some of that original glory still remains with us. Uh, We are still made in the image of God. Uh, That's what gives us our worth as as human beings. Uh, And so if if we go through this journey plumbing the depths of of our human depravity uh, with a brutal honesty, we might end up coming to the conclusion uh, that that we are nothing but, but evil, worthless monsters. And that would be wrong. Uh, that is half true. We are evil by nature. We, we can be monsters by nature. And yet we are not worthless. We are made in the image of God. There is yet within us great dignity and worth even for the worst of sinners. Now, this, is, this, this truth is what makes it so hard for many people to face the reality of their own sinfulness because we, we think that if we know our sinfulness for what it is, it will also rob us of our dignity. And, and we want to hold on to, to our dignity. Uh, and it's very hard for us then to hold these two truths in tension. As human beings, we are a terrible uh, amalgamation of dignity on the one hand and depravity on the other. We are these, th- these two things put together. Uh, we are made in the image of God, endowed with great dignity and worth. We saw that also in, in Psalm 2. And at the same time, we are capable of the worst evil, and depravity. And we saw that in in Psalm 14. It's very hard for for people to hold these two truths together, but we must if we are to understand who we are. Uh, We we tend to see the world in in black and white, where either we are good people with great worth and dignity, or we are evil people and therefore undeserving of respect and and worth. Uh, You see this very clearly in the way that that our, our world deals with with evil people uh, when, when they finally succeed in identifying them as evil. Uh, child abusers, rapists, terrorists uh, are designated by society as absolutely worthless. Their, their depravity is recognized, and so their dignity is denied. Uh, you see this right now, as, as uh, many of you may be following Brazilian uh, news, as, as they have a new president um, my wife and I, of course, follow Brazilian news quite often. And, and right now, this is prominent in Brazilian culture, uh, where, where this long history of failure to enforce the law has, has created this, this reality that criminals are, are able to run around with absolute impunity. 
and they, they steal, they rape, they murder without a thought, and, and they're, they're not held to account for it. And so what happens is it, it increasingly happens that people take justice into their own hands. And when they do, there is no regard for human dignity. Uh, these, they are treated as scum, and when they are caught, they, they will be beaten severely, their bodies violated in, in the worst ways because their depravity is recognized, and so their dignity is, is denied. And the same thing happens the other way. Uh, when we turn around, we look at ourselves, and, and we recognize instinctively at the heart level that we have great dignity and worth. Uh, we recognize the absolute preciousness of of human life in the face, for example, of an innocent child. And, and, and when we see that, we are tempted then to overlook or, or minimize the reality of depravity that is also just as much there. Now, the reality is every cruel abuser, every terrorist, every dictator, every Nazi began his life or her life as a beautiful child. It does no good then for, for us even to blame it on, on the parents. Uh, though the parents may sh- share the, brain, the blame, they too began as a beautiful, innocent child, so to speak. We see the dignity, and then it's very hard to see the depravity. Or we see the depravity, and then it's very hard to see the dignity. Uh, the, the, the difficult reality as we work through this is we have to hold these two truths together because that's where Scripture also holds them. And that takes us into very uncomfortable places. It means that every evil person who we would much rather just consign to that realm of of animals or, or scum is in fact a person of sacred worth. And also that every innocent child and every one of us whose life is indeed precious is also capable of the greatest cruelty and evil. It's written in our very, very nature. Uh, we have within us then both great dignity and terrible depravity. Uh, we are, in, in the words of Francis Schaeffer, we are a glorious ruin. Uh, we are made in the glorious image of God with tremendous, inviolable worth. And we are by nature children of Satan, uh, with, with hearts turned against God and against our neighbor in hostility, devoted to overthrowing God's kingdom and establishing kingdoms of our own. And we do that very often with no regard for the suffering and agony inflicted on others. That's who we are by nature. That is our human condition. And that's what this Lord's Day then is all about. Uh, the, the catechism would have us then open the word of God and, and recognize how these two truths hold together, though they may hold together in tension, so that we may recognize the tragedy of the way that we now are. So we begin, as the Catechism does, in our creation. Our dignity and our glory lies in the fact that we are created in the image of God. Uh, That's Genesis 1, verse verse 26. It says so, uh, in fact, twice. First, the Lord God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then again, in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female. He created them. Now, Now, what does that mean to be to be created in the image of God. We, we use this kind of language often. We say, you know, Johnny's just the, the spitting image of his dad. Uh, 
uh, and I don't know what spitting has to do with it, uh, but what we mean by that is the man or the boy looks just like his father. He's, he's in his father's likeness. Uh, but what does it mean for us to be made in the image of God? You know, is God five foot ten with blonde hair and, and blue eyes uh, like, like some of us? Obviously not. That, that is not what it means to be in God's image. Well, in Genesis 2, it's clear that the image of God is what sets man and woman apart from all of, all of the animals. So God created all these animals, and then he says, now let's make man in our image. It's, they're distinct from all the animals. Uh, so there's a contrast also between the, the animals that reproduce according to their kinds and man uh, who was made in the kind, so to speak, in the likeness of God. Now, the, the image of God then does not mean that men and women physically look like God uh, because God is spirit. God is, God is not a physical being. But it nevertheless does mean that, that human beings are, in a profound way, to be regarded as the children of God. We are to be regarded as the children of God, made to resemble our Heavenly Father. In Luke 3, for example, you have the the genealogy of the Lord Jesus, and it traces all the way back to Adam, and and then it concludes in, in the third to last generation, it says, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. The genealogy goes right back to God. Uh, Paul, Paul says the same thing in Acts 17 uh, as he's speaking in Athens, and he quotes these pagan poets who, who stumbled on that same, that same truth. We are his children. We are the children of God. And that's true of all humanity in that, in that general sense. Uh, then the difference between man and, and animals is that man was created to be a unique uh, exquisite, unmistakable reflection of God on earth. Uh, man is, is different than uh, entirely in his being from the animals. Uh, so just as God is good, and God is wise, and God is just, and God is uh, merciful, or, or truthful, or loving, so we also were created good, wise, just, merciful, truthful, and loving uh, we, we read in, in Genesis 1, God looked at his creation and declared it was all very good. And so we also, uh, we also are, we reflect that goodness that you see there in God. And, and with every one of those qualities, goodness, wisdom, mercy, etc., uh, we also recognize there's a corresponding capacity that man has that the animals don't have. Uh, animals are not capable of being good or, or bad. Uh, we, we sometimes say that with our dogs, you know, good dog or bad dog, because he's doing what he should or shouldn't do. Uh, but, but they are not, it, it is not a true moral quality. They are, they are not capable of knowing evil and doing evil the way that, that man is. Uh, we are also created with a sense of justice, a sense of creativity, uh, as God also is creator, a sense of self-awareness that does not belong uh, to the animals, also the ability to communicate with God as his children uh, that animals cannot do. Uh, so these capacities also then we recognize, these are part of what it means to be made in the image of God and part of what sets us apart and makes our life sacred uh, from all the animals. 
Now, it is important to, to understand these qualities that God has given us, they are not what makes us in God's image. They, they are a consequence of the fact that we are in God's image. Uh, so, even if an individual human may lack some of these qualities, uh, he, he or she is still made in God's image. Uh, if, if you lack the ability to be creative, for example, you are not less in the image of God uh, than, than someone else. Uh, that, that, is, that is a dignity that is yours uh, by creation. Uh, what all of this means then is that you and I as, as people, we bear a sacred dignity that may never be violated. Uh, we are images, image bearers of God. In fact, Genesis 9 uh, teaches that if, if that dignity is violated, if human life is taken, that human life that, that took it ought to be also devoted to God. There, it's a debt that cannot any longer be paid. Um, so this is true even of the the most broken, sinful human being. Uh, They are still image bearers of God. That is their dignity. Uh, One author put it this way. uh, He wrote, Man is a stately castle, intricately and masterfully constructed by the hand of an artisan who designed his work with no thought for expense or practicality. A proper concern for God's own glory and majesty was God's only guiding force when he created man. That's our dignity in which we were made. Uh, That's our glory, and it belongs to every human being on earth, regardless of uh, of race uh, or or any other feature, Uh, regardless also of disability or or weakness or, or even sin and evil. That is still our dignity. Uh, We bear God's image because we were made for relationship with Him. Uh, So this is true then even after the fall into sin. And we know this because uh, Genesis 9 again, which which teaches capital punishment for murder, uh, bases that on the fact that man is made in God's image. Even after Genesis 8 described how, how desperately wicked the heart of man is. Man is still an image bearer of God. This is why uh, Darwinian evolution also is, is so profoundly wrong. And, and this is what makes it so, so terribly dangerous. Uh, according to evolution, man is nothing but a highly evolved animal, still belonging in the same class as every other creature. And if that's true, there, there is no inherent dignity or worth in, in human life uh, any more than there is in a dog or a cat or, or a flea or, or a rock for that matter. We are nothing but, but matter lumped together. And, and, and you don't need a powerful imagination to, to consider the consequences of that belief. If we are nothing but animals, there's no reason to preserve or defend human life or honor it. Uh, it's, it's, we can be thankful that many atheists who believe this uh, thankfully don't take it to the logical conclusion uh, but there are those that do. And, and the 20th century the, was the bloodiest century in history uh, and is a testament to the consequences of that belief working itself out. Well, the, the Christian faith begins with the conviction that human beings, men and women, uh, children and infants, are all created in the image of God and therefore their lives have great dignity and worth. Having said that then, what happened to man and, and woman. 
When we consider the, the perfection, the goodness in which we were created, it's, it's, it, which, which is almost even impossible to imagine from where we now stand, to be truly good, truly wise, perfect, just, merciful, all these qualities of God, almost impossible to imagine from where we now stand. When we consider all that, we, we ask ourselves the question, what happened to us? How did we become who we, who we now are? Such that we can't even imagine human existence without the reality of sin and selfishness and greed and, and hatred. Well, that is our depravity. It began with our, our first father and, and mother, Adam and Eve, and that's what we read about in, in Genesis 3. Uh, I find many people struggle with, with that account of, of how human beings became what we are because many people f- struggle to understand how such a seemingly trivial thing as, as just eating a bite of fruit, uh, how could that possibly have led to all the brokenness and all the misery uh, that we now experience today, not to mention uh, the judgment of God after, after this life, uh, which we'll look at next week. Uh, but we, we want to think about that question. How, how is it that, that something so, so small and, and so simple, a, a, a little mistake, uh, so to speak, how could that possibly be the source of all the evil and misery that now exists in, in the human race? Many people find that that's just, it's not a sufficient explanation for, for who we are today. Well, in response to that, I, I would say this really shouldn't come as a great surprise. To, to any of us, that, that a small sin, a momentary sin, creates great havoc and destruction. And this is often the way that sin works. A, a single sin that takes place over the course of a couple of minutes uh, can lead, uh, and very often does lead, to a lifetime of misery and destruction. Uh, a single uh, shot fired from a gun that destroys a life, maybe destroys several generations. Uh, a single adulterous affair uh, can bring with it STDs and AIDS uh, th- that can change the course of a life and even destroy a family. Uh, a moment of, of immorality that creates a lifetime of misery. Uh, a few too many drinks and then you get behind the wheel. And, and a, a simple mistake, if you want to call it that, that leads to a lifetime ruined, uh, an entire life destroyed. Even smaller things, a thoughtless decision to send a text message while driving, and a life can be destroyed as a result. These things, these things happen all the time. A sin that takes a mere instant to commit, and may be done without hardly even thinking, nevertheless can have resounding implications for many generations. So also then with the sin of of Adam and Eve. A a single decision to disobey the commandment of God. A single moment of of unbelief where Eve no longer believed in the goodness of God in his command and so took of the fruit and ate uh, was all it took to plunge herself and then her husband into this kind of ruin and misery that we now experience. This is not, this is not unusual in the course of affairs even, even today. Uh, now, there is an important distinction that we do want to recognize. Uh, the canons of Dort make it as well. And, and it's important for us to understand, when we look at the sin of the human race, 
perpetrated from one generation to another to another and, and on and on, we might be inclined to say, and many people do, that, that what, what we're seeing here is the result of, of imitation. One generation imitating the sins of the last one and, and then the ones of the last one. And if that's true, the solution for mankind is education. And this is, this is often promoted in, uh, even, even at, at the level of the UN. What, what will save humanity is education because that changes the cycle of, of imitation. Uh, so this is, this is the explanation for how, how an innocent child can, can somehow turn into an evil monster. It must have been imitation, imitating their parents. Uh, they, are, they are victims of society, a phrase that, that we often use. And there is, there is some truth to that. We, we do learn things by imitation. And, and uh, uh, children will often be victims of society. Uh, there's certainly truth there. But the evil of the human race cannot be reduced to a matter of imitation. Uh, from the moment that Adam and Eve fell into sin, uh, Scripture teaches us that their very nature was corrupted, uh, and that we as, as their children then inherit this corruption. It arises from, from within our own hearts. So, uh, Canons of Dort, chapter 3, article 2, makes this distinction. It says, after the... After the fall of man, oh, since after the fall, man became corrupt, he as a corrupt father brought forth corrupt children. And thus the corruption has spread from Adam to all his descendants, with the exception of Christ alone, and not by imitation, as the Pelagians of old have maintained, but by the propagation of a, of a perverted nature. You hear the distinction? It's, it's the propagation of a nature that's broken and perverted. That's the source for the misery we see in humanity today. Uh, sin does not pass on by example alone. Um, it, is, it is better to be thought of as something like a genetic disorder, uh, a corruption in our nature that is, that is passed on generation after generation to our children. Uh, so, so when Adam and Eve fell into sin, they, they, they irreversibly perverted their own nature, and that's the nature we now inherit. And you hear that in, in the scriptures all over. Uh, for example, the psalmist in, in Psalm 51 says, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. From the very moment of conception, I've received a sinful, broken nature. Or, or as Paul says in, in Romans 5, uh, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. There, there is something then, uh, as human beings, there's something in our very souls and our, our very natures that is broken and corrupted by sin. And how bad is that corruption? We, we saw a little bit of that last week when, when we confessed uh, in light of God's word, that we are inclined by nature to hate God and our neighbor. And, and hate, hate may seem like a strong word to some, but it's good to recognize we are measuring ourselves here by the standard of God's perfect word. Uh, it's true, we may often, and we do often, get along with our neighbors so that the relationship doesn't look like, doesn't look like hatred. And yet, if our hearts are ultimately committed to removing God off his throne and placing ourselves there, we will hate our neighbor when they violate 
our kingdom, and our will. And so that hatred does come to the surface. If it is my kingdom come, my will be done, and if that's what my neighbor is saying too, and, is, and so also every other human being, when those kingdoms threaten one another, then you will see hatred, and, and we do. Uh, so again, we, we are, we're here every afternoon to open the Word of God, to let God teach us about who we are, and, and to let God show us our, our real condition. And so Genesis 6, verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was before the flood, uh, and, and, and the same thing is said again after the flood. Or, or Romans 8, verse 7, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, and indeed it cannot. Or Ephesians 2, this is what we read earlier, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Or one more, uh, Titus 3, verse 3. For we ourselves... Acknowledging as Christians, this is who we were by nature. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's, the, that's Scripture's description of the human heart by nature. Uh, the, the tragedy then of our condition is that though we were created with, with great dignity and worth to love God and our neighbor, it is the inclination of our current nature to hate God and our neighbor. Uh, and, and you see this sometimes even in the smallest things when strangers uh, cut us off in traffic, we mutter these curses under our breath. Uh, so it is that, that even, even closer to home, sometimes even our own children when they violate our will, our kingdom, uh, our patience, whatever it may be, they become victims of our wrath. Just like Adam and Eve setting ourselves on the throne of God and saying, my kingdom will come, my will be done, and woe to those who stand in my way. Uh, and, and, and when left to our own devices, given the motive and the opportunity, there is no limit to the evil and the cruelty that we are capable of committing. It's not an overstatement to describe our nature in these terms of hating God and hating our neighbor. Uh, I, I know that the, the world hears Christians confess this, uh, that, that we are by nature uh, evil. And, and oftentimes, I've seen it, oftentimes the world shakes their head in disbelief. How can you Christians really believe that, that people are so evil? I mean, look at the goodness of humanity. Look at the joy of, of innocent children. How can you... How can you believe it? And yet, honestly, I am amazed that anyone can believe otherwise. If there was ever a century in which that was proved, uh, un the goodness of humanity was proven untrue, it, it has to be the last century. Uh, the 20th century was by far the bloodiest century in human history. Uh, five million Jews 
slaughtered in the in the, in, the, in the concentration camps in Germany. But even that that only pales in comparison uh, with the the death tolls of the communist uh, experiments in the Soviet Union and in China. Sixty five million people killed in China. Twenty million killed in the Soviet Union, 2 million killed in Cambodia, another 2 million in, in North Korea, and then millions more in Africa, in, in, in Afghanistan, in, in the communist states in Eastern Europe, in Vietnam. Uh, you think of even the 90s, 800,000 uh, Tutsis murdered in Rwanda. And, and far greater than, than all of these, what about the 40 million unborn children in our own country who are murdered every, uh, uh, who, who have been murdered ever, ever since abortion was legalized? Uh, uh, excuse me, that was in the States. And, and the 4 million killed in our own country since abortion was legalized here. And these murders... They were committed not by, uh, not by uneducated, unintelligent, primitive people, but by the elites and the educated, by the entire societies, by the decent and the polite members of society. Uh, we were all complicit. Uh, it, was, it was the century of, of secularism, the century of believing in the goodness of humanity. The people that preached that more than any other were the communist regimes, preaching in the goodness of humanity. Together we will rise to new heights and, and so forth. It was that century uh, that... Uh, the, the century of belief in science and, and in medicine and, and the philosophies of Karl Marx that were, were going to lead to a new relationship between rich and poor and so forth, and it turned into a century of evil like none the world has ever witnessed before. It's amazing that, that, that non-believers will, will look at the violence of the last century and still cling somehow to this notion that, yes, but we are still good uh, in, inside ourselves. Uh, we are still somehow basically good. Uh, it ought to be by now a universally accepted truth that, that evil is deeply woven in to the human heart. And so we are brought to fa- face-to-face with the reality of our present condition. And we say as Christians, let God be true and every man a liar. Uh, Let the word of God speak and we will listen. Uh, Again, Genesis 8 verse 21, the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Or Job 15 verse 14, what is man that he could be pure? Or he who is born of woman that he can be righteous? Uh, Proverbs 22, folly is bound up even in the heart of a child. Or Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Or Ecclesiastes 7, verse 29, he says, See, this alone I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Or a chapter later, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. Psalm 130, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And, and of course, there's the, the longest uh, passage of all describing our iniquity in Romans 3. No one is righteous. No, not one. And it goes on verse after verse describing our present condition. And again, uh, we're, we're here looking at these things because this is the starting place for the Christian faith. Uh, 
It's only when we know ourselves for who we are and our condition for what it is that we will understand our desperate need for a Savior and run to that Savior. Uh, So the last part of Lord's Day 3 does leave us with a little bit of hope. Uh, It's it's still a hard word. It's not a comforting uh, question and answer yet. But it asks the question, are we so corrupt that we are totally unable in ourselves to do any good and inclined to all evil? The answer is yes. That is the hard truth we must accept. But it does say, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Uh, The Christian faith rests on the conviction then uh, that, that we are fallen and dead in and of ourselves. We saw that in, in Ephesians 2. But it also points to the hope that God can take the worst of sinners and turn their lives around, bringing them to the cross and changing even who they are. He can make us new. And that's also what Ephesians 2 is all about. God makes dead sinners alive in Christ. He can, and He often, very often, does. Uh, Christ came to buy a people for Himself, to purchase them with His blood, and to die for them, but not just to save these wretched sinners so that they can go to heaven, but to change them so that they can be a new creation by His power, so that once reconciled to God, we may also now live in a holy, pure, good relationship with Him. So, brothers and sisters, as we consider these truths, humble yourselves before the Word of God, uh, because the very same God who calls our evil out for what it, what it is, and He does so in truth and justice, He is also the God who has sent Christ into our world to purchase you and to redeem you and to reconcile you to Him. Uh, stand in the light of that truth because it is the truth uh, and also because it is the truth that will set you free. As the Lord Jesus says, uh, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, be, be willing to confess with the psalmist, I was conceived and born in sin so that you can also then pray with him, purge me with hyssop, wash me and I will be clean and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones that you have broken, O God, rejoice. Or again, as, as, the, as we saw from Psalm 130, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who should stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. Amen. Uh, let's respond to 